The first time it happened was in school, during fourth period English. Miss Kalman arrived to class, late as usual, carrying her signature leather bag. She bent down to put it on the floor and took her seat, before looking back up to the class. I did a double take when I saw her face. She had a great big stain splashed across her head. It was some kind of dark brown, coppery colored blotch, dried onto her temple. She went about taking out her books as if she didn't have some sort of curry stain or something crusted onto her forehead. I went from amused to worried when I looked around to see literally nobody else reacting to it either. I leaned over to the guy sitting next to me. Hey dude, I said. Are you seeing this? Seeing what? The thing on her face, man. I chuckled. He stared back at me as if I had three heads. Realizing that clearly no one else could see what I saw, I dropped it. I went home freaking out slightly. Maybe it was a trick of the light, or some kind of optical thing, but it stayed there on her face throughout the whole class. The next day I returned to school, only to be called into an assembly with the entire student and staff population. The principal came out to break the news to us. Miss Kalman had committed suicide the previous night. It wasn't until later, when I heard that the cause of death was a gunshot to the head, that I really start to panic. We were sent home for the rest of the day, and I walked out of school with a cold, sick feeling in my stomach. Eventually, my parents came home, and just as I was starting to pull all of that out of my head, my dad walked through the door. He stumbled back when I let out an involuntary scream of terror. Mom and Dad just stared at me. Covering the entire front of his overalls was a large, deep red stain smeared across his stomach and torso. I could tell by their reactions that neither of them could see it either. I immediately ran to my room, with my parents close behind. Panicked, they asked me what was going on. I just pointed at Dad's overalls. He looked down. What is it? he asked. He rubbed his hand over the stain as if it wasn't there. I just kept gawking in terror. Maybe we should call a doctor, my mom said. How about we just let you get a good night's rest, buddy? Dad told me reassuringly. I didn't sleep the entire night. When morning finally came, I begged Dad not to go to work, but of course, he still went. Mom booked an appointment with our doctor before heading off to work also. I stayed home from school, and between fits of sweaty anxiety, I would call Dad's cell phone constantly to check in on him. The day crawled by, and eventually, Mom arrived in the door. Dad must be working late, she said. I immediately called his cell, with no answer. A little while later from the kitchen, I heard Mom take a phone call. Before she'd even said hello, my blood was already running cold, and I was already crying. A few seconds later, she was sobbing even harder than I was. I didn't bother going into the kitchen. It was a freak accident. He was working on a car at the garage when something went wrong. The car had collapsed and crushed him. The following days in the funeral were like a nightmarish fever dream. Everything went by in slow motion. I felt limp and numb. Once home from the funeral, I went to the bathroom, and then I saw it. As I washed my hands and looked up into the mirror, there it was. A big red stain tracking all the way around my neck. 
Sobbing in horror for what felt like the millionth time, I stumbled downstairs to Mom, who was curled up in an armchair, sniffling. I tried explaining, but how could I? Please stop this, Mom asked, crying. You're just confused. Mom, please. Please stop, she begged. It's going to happen to me, I cried. Stop, she sobbed. This was last night. As I write this, the stain is still there. I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but I've made arrangements for my aunt to come take care of my mom once I'm gone. In any case, I write this account in the hopes that it may help some of you out there. If you begin to see stains on people that no one else can, warn them before it's too late. It's odd that I was dreaming about my daughter the moment before I opened my eyes and saw her peering at me beside my nightstand. In the inky darkness of my bedroom, I could just make out her six-year-old outline, her hands threaded together at her waist, fulfilling her dubious mien when disturbing someone of authority, chubby cheeks that always pulled her lips into a smirk, that curly blonde hair she got from her mother, who was delicately snoring beside me. I was groggy, and no sunlight had penetrated the windows yet, so I knew it was the middle of the night. Lucy? Daddy, there's a man in the baby's room. Such sinister words from the sweetest voice. In a flash, I ripped the covers from my body, waking my wife in the process, then raced down the hallway, past the pictures hung on the wall, and into the bedroom on the end. With a simple flick of a switch, I was exposed to my two-month-old son's room the mint-colored walls, the boxes of gifted diapers from the baby shower, a basket of plush animals, a tub of pacifiers and wipes. But behind the crib where my son Noah was sleeping was something appalling, an intruder crawling through the window. The intruder craned his neck when the light blasted on and alerted him of my presence. It was then when I noticed the knife the man was large, with greasy long hair and an unkempt beard. He smelled of body odor and that sour, putrid smell of vaporized drugs. I leapt into action before he could even achieve a sturdy footing or leverage the knife to his advantage. I skirted the crib where my son still slept and removed a heavy bookend from the bookcase. Then, as unsupported baby books tumbled off the shelf, I bludgeoned the intruder in the arms as he flailed and teetered on the windowsill. After the intruder took several missed swipes with the knife, my aim became focused on his head. After my weapon made contact with his skull a few times, he withdrew into the backyard, lumbering awkwardly around our flower bed before hobbling over our fence and disappearing into the dark street. I picked up Noah, who thankfully was still sleeping and oblivious, and held him firmly against my chest. What's going on? Why is the window open? I heard my wife ask behind me as she came into Noah's room. Call 911 now. We just had an intruder. What? She laughed. Now, I demanded. Loud enough to vocally project my fear but unintentionally lifted Noah from slumber. She phoned the police as I flipped on every light switch in the house, especially the exterior ones. 
and cruised through the rooms with Noah on my hip, doing my best to calm him. It took two laps through the living room, but eventually he was calm enough for my wife and I to talk after her phone call. Will you tell me what happened? She asked. Yeah, sorry I yelled earlier. Uh, I was just emotional, you know. It's okay. What happened? Somebody was trying to break into the house through Noah's room. I forgot to lock the window after we painted his room. Remember, we opened it for ventilation? I'm so sorry, honey. Something could have... Stop it, my wife demanded. Noah's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. Everyone is fine. You're right. Police are on their way. They'll find the guy. He won't be hard to pick out of a lineup. Some drug-addled thief looking for a score. What made you wake up? Was Noah crying? I paused for a moment to consider an answer, then looked at my curious-eyed son. Yeah, Noah's crying woke me. I feel terrible. I slept right through his crying fit. Don't worry. Everything turned out for the best. How about some coffee, hon? She went to the kitchen, and I heard the coffee pot being washed. I took Noah to the hallway and propped his body up on my side so he was eye-level with the photographs that lined the hallway. I showed my son a picture of a six-year-old girl with blonde curls that flanked a grin between chubby cheeks. That's Lucy, Noah. She's your big sister. Noah, with tiny, stumpy fingers, reached out and planted a palm on the frame. I always knew she would be a great sister. She died before you were born, Noah, and your mother and I miss her every day. But it's good to know she's still looking out for her little brother. When I was little, my grandparents raised me. My dad had taken off long before I was even born, and my mom, in an attempt to give me the best possible life financially, worked two jobs during the weekdays and one on the weekend. I never saw her, so, naturally, my grandparents stepped up to the plate. Although we had our own apartment, I spent most of my time at my grandparents' house. They were retired and lived modestly, feeding off their pension and investments living in a modest two-floor bungalow. They weren't rich by any means, but to a kid, this lifestyle was paradise. I loved staying with them and exploring all the nooks and crannies of their old house. I loved running around in the backyard in the summers as my grandma sprayed me with the hose. Most of all, though, I loved eating their home-cooked meals. Hands down, my grandmother made the best food I've ever tasted. She cooked slowly and with a lot of love meticulously following recipes that had been handed down in our family for generations, but also not being afraid to add her own twist. Although there wasn't anything of hers I didn't like to eat, I went absolutely crazy for her pizza. My grandmother had Italian blood in her, and so her recipe for pizza was the real deal. Passed down to her from her mother, and her mother from her grandmother, all the way from the old country, the crust always ended up being thin, but somehow fluffy, melt-in-your-mouth delicious, with a fragrant, zesty sauce that never failed to get my mouth watering. The toppings didn't really matter much. As long as you nailed the dough and sauce, you nailed the pizza. Since it took so long to make and was so labor-intensive, she didn't make pizza too often, usually for special occasions like my birthdays. 
or when I'd gotten to college. She even made one for me when I got engaged, even though she was dealing with some pretty intense health issues back then. After my grandparents both passed away, I decided I wanted to do something special to honor them. At that point, I was doing pretty well for myself. I had a stable job that paid okay, and I had gotten some solid inheritance money from their estate. So, to honor their memory, I decided to open my very own pizzeria. I named it Buchanan's, my grandparents' surname, but one I did not share, and committed to selling my grandmother's authentic homemade pizza pies. And it did not do well. I don't know if it was the location or the cuisine, but this restaurant didn't even get off the ground before it crashed. I'd quit my job and sunk everything into this venture. With a contribution from both my mom and my husband, plus this wasn't just a business, it was my grandparents' memory we were talking about here. The fact that I couldn't muster more than 10 clients in a day was a huge heartbreak. One night, months after we opened, I was closing shop early. We normally closed at 10, but it was 9, and it had been a pretty brutal day. Usually we'd get a few orders for takeout, and at least 4 or 5 people in the dining room. But tonight, not a single soul had meandered into the restaurant. So I decided to get a head start on closing up, so I could at least get home before our son went to bed. I was just starting to get the dining room in order when I heard it. A soft, faint knocking at the window punctuated by the squeaks of fingers against the clean glass. I peered outside, hoping it was a client, but nothing. No one. My eyes narrowed at the state of the evening, though. Outside was pitch black, weird for the neighborhood, which was usually illuminated by the white glow of streetlights, other businesses, porch lights, headlights. But tonight, nothing. That's when I also noticed that the air in my restaurant was... I don't know. Weird? Compressed, I guess. Hot and stale, like someone had vacuumed up all the air inside and left only enough for me to breathe. Chalking it up to just one of those nights, I continued what I was doing. Lifting chairs to put them on tabletop so I could sweep and mop. Almost instantly, I heard it again. Louder this time. The unmistakable sound of someone knocking on the glass door. I looked again, but again there was no one figuring it was a prank by some of the neighborhood kids. I huffed over to the door annoyed and pulled it open, ready to yell at them into the darkness like some crazed madwoman. But a woman stood in front of me instead. She looked normal. Well, normal enough. Tall, thin, almost gaunt. The skin under her eyes stretched paper thin and tinged an angry purple. The only thing unusual about her was the cameo pin she wore in her cardigan. It was small, but encrusted in shiny dark jewels. It looked like she'd plucked it straight from the Titanic or something. For her part, she looked... Well, she looked exhausted. I instantly felt bad for her, like I needed to be super nice. She reminded me of my mom 15 years ago. Plus, maybe she wanted to buy some pizza. Plastering on a smile and putting on my best customer service voice, I said, Can I help you? The woman smiled, and when she did, her face seemed to light up. I felt both uneasy and relaxed at the same time. It was weird. I'm sorry, it's been a long day, and I really need to use the washroom. May I please come in? She asked, and motioned to the inside of the restaurant. I laughed. 
Washrooms are for paying customers only, I joke, but moved out of the doorway so she could enter. Okay, so she didn't want a pizza, but I could still use some company, even if it for a half a minute, as I guided her to the washroom. Oh, alright. Well, I don't have any money on me, but... Mommy? A little girl's voice squeaked from behind the woman, and I jumped, not having noticed her before. Peering deep into the darkness, I could make out her silhouette. She had dark hair, like her mother, pinned up into a cute bun on top of her head. Mommy, can we go? It's cold. Not yet, Annie. Mommy really needs to use the washroom. But I'm really hungry. The woman whipped around to her daughter, and I got a clear look at her face. She resembled the woman almost identically, except she didn't look like she was about to collapse from exhaustion at any minute. In her hair, she wore a beret decorated with the same jewel-encrusted cameo that her mother wore. Annie, hissed the woman. Just wait outside for ten minutes, okay? I'll be in and out. I instantly felt horrible for the little girl, and for the woman, too. They reminded me of me and my mom, or at least how things could have been if not for my beloved grandparents. Hey, I blurted out. Why don't you both come in for some free pizza? It's warm in the restaurant, and... No, the woman exclaimed. No, no thank you. Annie is perfectly fine waiting outside, but that's very generous. It's on the house, I repeated, my eyes pleading with the woman to come inside. I wasn't sure if it was pride or fear or what that was leading to her to reject my offer, but I wanted her to understand I wasn't judging. I sincerely wanted to help. I could think of no better way to honor my grandparents' memory. Plus, we were already going belly up. Two or three free pizzas wasn't going to change anything. The woman was silent. She seemed to be weighing her options. Mommy? Annie squeaked. With a huff, she grabbed her daughter's hand and dragged her past me into the restaurant. All right, but let's make this quick, okay? Mommy's hungry too, Mary Ann. The pair ended up staying two hours tops. I fired up the oven and made, in total, four pies, all of them for Annie, who ate two of the pizzas with a passion and joy that I hadn't experienced since my own grandmother cooked for me. Her mother, Layla, took no food, insisting that she had plenty of things at home that would go to waste if she didn't consume them tonight. When Annie was finished eating, I boxed the remaining two pizzas and pushed them into Layla's arms. For the rest of the week, I said, flashing her a smile. They keep pretty well for lunches, just one less thing you have to do this week. Layla, who had remained mostly stony and silent throughout the meal, glanced from me, back to her daughter, back to me. She exhaled. You know, I never let Annie come with me when... Well, there are just some things I don't want her to see. It's a mother's job to protect their kids, right? No matter what cards life hands them? I narrowed my eyes, confused. Yes, totally. I agree. Layla hesitated. Then she placed her free hand on Annie's shoulder. Thanks for feeding her, she said. We should go now. Just don't leave the restaurant open this late. This neighborhood is crawling with... creeps. With a wave goodbye from Annie, the two took off. I continued closing up as usual, but because of the encounter, I was a couple of hours off schedule. By the time I locked up, it was a little past midnight, later than I'd have liked it to be considering every single light in the neighborhood seemed to be broken. Plus, considering Layla's warning, 
I didn't want to be walking about in the pitch darkness in the dead of night here. Sure, it was only a five-minute walk to where I'd parked my car, but a lot can happen in five minutes. Briskly, I locked the door behind me and began the trek to the car. It was a little difficult to see in front of me for how dense the darkness was. So I illuminated the path with the flashlight on my phone and... That's when I saw him. In the glow of my phone's flashlight, I made out the silhouette of a man just a few feet away from me. But he wasn't a human man. He was tall. Taller than anyone I'd ever seen before. But his back was bent at an angle twisted so that his wrinkled, elongated neck swooped down to eye level. When I saw this, I gasped, frozen in fear, unable to do anything but stare. His fingers were long and seemed to be bent and broken at strange parts. His face emaciated, with chunks of flesh peeling off his cheeks like stale wallpaper. His eyes were shut, but his mouth was curved into a satisfied grin. I couldn't do anything. I was physically incapable of moving, of screaming. I managed to pry my mouth open to let out a scream, but when I did, the thing opened his mouth as well, revealing several rows of razor-sharp teeth. Shocked, I let out a loud yell. That's when the creature lunged at me, his bones making a horrible scraping, grinding noise against the asphalt below him. I couldn't move my feet or my arms. My phone fell from my frozen hand, plunging the entire scene into darkness once more. I smelt the stench of ground bones. Resigned, I shut my eyes and waited for whatever painful death was waiting for me on the other side. But nothing came. I felt a rush of cold air envelop me, and then the sound stopped. The smell went away, and in an instant, I was able to move again. After a few minutes of regaining my breath and whatever was left of my sanity, I stretched my foot forward and felt my phone. Gingerly, I picked it up, not bothering to do anything else but absolutely book it to the general area where my car was parked. When I got home that night, my mind was absolutely on autopilot. It was like my brain was still too fragile to process the entire evening, so it sent all my thoughts away momentarily just so I wouldn't go completely nuts. Even though it was past 1am, my husband had stayed up to wait for me, greeting me with a warm smile from his perch on the sofa as soon as I walked through the door. Automatically, I sauntered into the living room, bending down to give him a kiss. What's that? he asked as I broke away from our quick peck. Hmm, what's what? That, on your shirt, looks new. My heart pounded. Had the creature marked me somehow? Was a piece of his flesh clinging to the wall on my sweater? Bile rose up in my throat as the memories of the night came flooding back. I looked down. Pinned into the fabric, right on my chest, was a cameo brooch encrusted with blood-red jewels.